your view is, and I concur, is getting inflation out of the system, even if we have to endure some short-term pain in the long run will be worth it. We do not want to have runaway inflation. Well, welcome to the Influencers Podcast. And I got to tell you, I am a proud member of our special guest fan club. Uh, I'm an avid viewer of CNBC, especially when he's on. And Doll Deliberations, if you are not subscribing to it, do it today. It's incredible. And also, uh, you can participate in the webinars that are put on by Bob, Victoria, their team. And it's the best. Uh, I'm also... Uh, pleased to report that our organization, CityServe, is a client of Bob's company, Crossmark Global Investments, and the uh, CEO of that company is our chairman-elect. And so, uh, Bob, we are already closely knitted. It's a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for the kind words. I hope I can live up to them during this podcast. Nobody can help us better navigate the uncertainties of this market than Bob. And so, Bob, thanks again for joining us. My co-host, Scott Young, is going to share some of your bio. Well, for some of our friends that are part of the Influencers podcast family, you may not have heard uh, of our very well-known guest today, but Bob is the Chief Investment Officer of Crossmark, which he has held since 2021. And he brings to that position over 40 years of industry experience in financial services. He uh, especially helps large cap strategies. He is a strategic thinker and uh, his wisdom is sought by many uh, around the world. Multiple media operations reach out to him. He is a regular on CNBC, Bloomberg, MoneyWise, Fox Business News. And um, he just brings wisdom and history. He's not only been the chief investment officer at uh, Crossmark, he's also held that position at Merrill Lynch Investment Management and the Oppenheimer Fund. And besides his uh, extensive financial background, he is the choir director of his local church, something I really love. His wisdom is sought on various and sundry boards as diverse as the National Christian Foundation and the Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Bob and Leslie make their home in beautiful Princeton, New Jersey. They have three children, and we are so glad that he's joined us today on The Influencers. And Bob, I also noticed that you're on the board of National Christian Foundation, uh, which has been a great blessing uh, to uh, CityServe International. Love that ministry. It does great work. It, uh, uh, it convinces, encourages people to give money away, and the, the conduit NCF then pushes it out the door to those organizations. So billions and billions of dollars. It's been wonderful to watch. Well, as I mentioned, I'm an avid viewer of CNBC, especially when you're on. And, you know, you have quite a reputation uh, for providing accurate financial predictions. Uh, maybe we could kick off this interview with one of your deliberations. Uh, you said the strength of the summer rally caused by some momentum-based indicators to suggest the worst of the bear market is over. But the macro backdrop of 
the yield curve inversions, money supply growth decline, and further rate hikes argue for an unsettled period for equities, and we may test the lows. Uh, Bob, help our listeners understand what that means. Certainly. So we all know we entered a bear market the first week of January. That was the peak of the last bull market. And uh, successive uh, declines um, by the end of uh, June took us down more than 20%, which qualifies, quote, as a bear market. And what we're trying to say in that deliberation is we saw a rally. June 16th uh, was the low. And last week, Uh, was the end of that rally up almost 20%, the biggest rally so far in this bear market. And it was caused by uh, people hoping, uh, without a whole lot of evidence, that uh, inflation uh, was going to come down quick enough that the Fed wouldn't have to raise interest rates all that much. And uh, last Friday, Chairman Powell of the Fed basically threw cold water on that hope and said, no, we're here to fight inflation. And if you didn't hear me, we're here to fight inflation. And and so that cold water has uh, created uh, quite a stir on the downside in markets over the last week or so. Uh, and that's uh, created uh, real concern for markets. How long will uh, the rates go up? How long will it take inflation to come down? How slow will the economy get and therefore earnings? And my goodness, maybe I should sell a stock or two. And that's what's happened. I, I don't think people understand, you know, why would the Fed want to hurt equities in the job market? <laughs> you know, help, yeah. help us understand that. Yeah, great, great question. Well, they, they don't really want to do that. Uh, but their view is if they don't in the short term, they're going to have to have more pain in the long term as flate and inflation would run away from us. So inflation, uh, we all know, got ahead of steam in 2021. And if I can uh, point a finger at the Fed, they waited too long to deal with it. They argued that it was temporary or transitory, and it proved not to be that at all. And so it got ahead of steam faster than perhaps it could have slash should have. Uh, and now they have to deal with it. So their their view is, and I concur, is getting inflation out of the system, even if we have to endure some short-term pain and the long run will be worth it. We do not want to have runaway inflation. So when you are looking at at the future, you're looking at industry, markets, consumer behaviors, and you're trying to advise people towards the future. Um, what what is it that you are looking for in those sectors to give wise advice? You know, that's a, that's a complicated question because it's taken years to try to figure that out. And I wouldn't claim that I have yet figured it out. Um, but it's a collection of observations about patterns that happen in the economy and markets. It's understanding that uh, uh, money uh, does create growth. Um, that uh, valuation matters. Uh, sentiment is absolutely key. When everybody's bullish, you can read studies that show it pays to be bearish and vice versa. So this combination of, can I say, monetary variables, sentiment variables, valuation, fundamentals, they all come together to create uh, an environment whereby it makes sense to own this and not own that. And that's what we study and try to advise people on as we manage their money. 
and in the the current political situation, how does that factor into your your judgment and analysis? Yeah, so I didn't bring politics in it, but we know we always go there eventually. Here we are. Uh, Leah, politics absolutely matters for markets. In fact, one of our 10 predictions at the beginning of this year was that the Republicans would uh, capture 20 to 25 House seats and narrowly win the Senate. Um, the first part of that, I think, will get right. The second part is questionable uh, as the momentum has moved in the Democrat direction um, as um, Roe v. Wade has created uh, some waves, as uh, the declining gas prices has created a bit more uh, hope and optimism and approval for the president and the current administration. Um, our guess is that uh, if we have a divided as opposed to a unified Congress, that is two parties rather than one, that the uh, likelihood of additional significant economic legislation is very low, uh, which creates an environment, good or bad, for some stability. Uh, and uh, we don't have to worry about what are they going to do to us in the middle of the night. Um, divided governments often are the best uh, kinds of uh, governments for the markets. So you've been predicting, I would imagine, midterm and presidential elections through your 40-plus year history. How's your track record? <laughs> Thankfully, we've done very well. Um, there's some uh, elections that uh, uh, we called um, that didn't look like they're going to happen, and they did. For example, the, the conventional wisdom was Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump, as you'll recall. And January 1st of that year, we said Donald Trump will be elected president. Of course, he was. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had uh, we've had a reasonably good hand when it comes to the political side, for better or words. I Is wish there... I was good at picking stocks. Well, I think that you have some gifts in that area, and that's why people look to you for the wisdom that we're here looking to you for. Is there a difference between the midterm cycle, which we're coming to in November, and the presidential cycle? Does that affect the markets differently? It, it does. Obviously, the presidential cycle when we also elect the entire House of Representatives and one third of the Senate. It's the same as the uh, midterm elections, except there's no president to be elected. So it's always a, a bigger deal. Uh, we do know there are patterns. If you look at uh, the four years of the cycle, the second year, the midterm election year, is typically when the market has the biggest setback, on average down 19%. Uh, at some point during the year. And of course, this round, we've had 21 and a half from, from top to bottom. So we have fairly normal midterm election year. It never feels like it when you're living through it. Bob, I, you know, yesterday, the VIX, the volatility index dropped. You know, how, why in the world would it drop when what you're saying is going to happen? Equities are potentially going to test the lows. Why would the volatility low? Is it already baked in? Uh, what's going to happen? The 50 or 75 rate increase? Uh, that's a great question. I scratched my head a bit. I would have guessed if you told me everything that was going on in the markets and in fact the world, except you didn't tell me what the VIX was doing, I would have guessed a VIX higher than where it is. Volatility is one way to measure uncertainty. We have a fair amount of uncertainty, but somehow that VIX has remained relatively calm. One of the things I would say is before we finally 
do have the bottom in stocks rather than a series of bottoms, as we probably at that point will need to see an increase in the VIX as uh, people uh, vote with their feet and, and run for the hills. We haven't seen that kind of bottom yet. Should investors be a little scared about some of these high multiple, high you know evaluation stocks like Apple, uh, Salesforce, and Amazon? So those stocks, as you know, have come down quite a bit. Apple being an exception has done pretty well. It's down, but not nearly as much as some of the others. Uh, look, the companies that have very high P.E. ratios or no earnings and therefore, quote, an infinite P.E. ratio, yeah, I think they're still vulnerable. Uh, but a lot of these mega cap tech stocks have come down a lot. And while they could down, go down further, I think the lion's share of the decline is probably in the rearview mirror. How do you think um, taking the forgiveness of debt and how it affects the market, both individually to the individual consumer and then their psychology in working into the, the national psychology about how debt is handled and how will that affect the, the markets? Yeah, so the, uh, the forgiveness of the student loan debt is obviously very controversial. Uh, if I had a loan and I conscientiously paid it off, you're telling me I shouldn't have done it because you would have forgiven me? Uh, that kind of thinking is going around quite a bit, as you know. We're in an environment where inflation, to repeat, is still a problem. And when you do that kind of activity, you only fuel the inflation. So I'm not sure it's the wisest decision at this point. More generally, uh, debt, let's say federal debt, is something that many people have been worried about for some time. And I'm not saying I'm not worried about it, but uh, so far... Uh, as debt has gone up, so has the economy and so is the stock market. So maybe the debt's a good thing. I'm not so sure. Every dollar we borrow is a dollar we're borrowing from the future. And uh, that eventually will put a noose around our neck and uh, strangle us a bit. So uh, at some point, there'll be a day of reckoning. What is quantitative tightening? Uh, your, your colleague, Steve Grasso, yesterday was saying that if there's a 50-point increase, it's actually 75 because of the quantitative tightening. What, what does that mean? Yeah, quantitative tightening is the opposite of quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is what we experienced when the Fed was, like the federal government, um, uh, uh, throwing money to the system, mailing checks to consumers. That's quantitative easing. Uh, they kind of build up their balance sheet by incurring these debts from the checks that were written. They now need to reverse some of that. And that's what quantitative uh, tightening is about. And while we've seen a bit of it here in the month of September, it's going to pick up some steam. And that has some people worried. We've not been through a period before where the Fed has raised rates, where money supply growth is shrinking, and quantitative tightening, i.e. reducing the size of their balance sheet. So no playbook. That's why some people are concerned. You know, a lot of people are concerned about uh, the uh, filling up their tank. And, you know, the joke is you got to take out a loan, you know, to uh, fill up your tank each week. So what do you see happening with oil? You know, with especially with the potential of Iran uh, putting, you know, potentially millions of barrels back into the market. You know, what's going to happen with OPEC? Where do you see us headed? 
So let's answer that question in terms of the price of a gallon of gasoline for our cars is where you started. Uh, it obviously peaked as a, as a nation a little over $5 a barrel about three months ago, and we've been moving uh, lower. Um, as of uh, this morning, that number is uh, around $3.80 a gallon. Most projections are there's enough oil sloshing around that that is a good chance to go down another, say, 50 cents. But longer term, we still have the problem of uh, the global economy being okay, people therefore demanding more gasoline for all kinds of things, including driving their cars. Uh, and there's a, a curtailment of supply that has come largely uh, by the marginal producer of oil in the world, and that's the United States. Uh, when in January of 2021, uh, the president said, uh, we're not going to uh, sell any more land for drilling. We're going to put a moratorium on new drilling. They're basically saying we're going to curtail supply. And uh, Economics 101, remember, if demand of something goes up and supply is curtailed, what happens to its price? It goes up. So while we're in a temporary respite, I'm going to emphasize the word temporary. I think at some point they'll go back up, sadly. Are there any particular oil companies uh, that you would recommend? So, so we are overweight the energy sector. Uh, one of our 10 predictions at the beginning of the year, that energy would ha have a good year. And it's way out in front. There's no close second in terms of the 11 sectors out there. Uh, while they're up a lot, and so I wouldn't go chasing them. On any pullback, I want to own energy. And you can own uh, the big integrated companies. You can find some good uh, exploration and production companies, even some of the refiners. So I want to have a broad-based participation in the energy sector. How will these sanctions that they kick in for Russia, is it in October or early November? Yeah, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how that all uh, pans out. But uh, that's part of Europe's, um, uh, you know, big-time headache. Uh, how they're going to deal with uh, high prices or worse, not being able to get supply at almost any price. Uh, so that's that's a problem in front of us. There's obviously uh, politics involved with that. And uh, of course, that's part of what the war is about. So uh, hard yards ahead for the globe and Europe in particular. People are asking, though, we have all this oil and gas. Why didn't we get ahead of this? Why didn't I? What we only have what two or three refineries? I mean, we could have supplied the world and we wouldn't have been at the beck and call of the Russians. Well, I, I don't want to get political, but we have to recognize that we did move to a position where we were a net exporter of energy for the first time in decades. And the change of administration sadly has reversed that. Uh, by the things I mentioned earlier. So we could, without a whole lot of trouble, ramp that up. I wish we would. I mean, look, if the environmentalists are on the other side of the, uh, of the coin. I just wish the president would say, look, I'm a green guy like you are, but can you give me a couple of years so that we could deal with the near-term problems that the U.S. and the globe has and worry about some other stuff a little bit later? Well, my wife is from North Dakota, the Bakken Shell, so I know a little bit about oil and pipes. And the fact is, uh, to our environmental friends, and I'm, I'm environmental friendly, I drive an electric car, uh, pipes are the safest and most environmental way to move oil and gas. Right, Bob? So, so true. And, and gas, 
natural gas is a very clean, uh, environmentally friendly way to, uh, uh, to, to, to supply energy. You know, this has been just the information that's coming out and even some of the big words that are being used. We're going to have to break that down and help some of our influencers to just say, what should I do with my money? I've got a little bit extra. We're going to continue this discussion in episode two. And Bob, we just are so thankful that you've been here and are going to stay for our next episode. Jesus said that where your treasure is, your heart is and they go together. So we want to be wise with our head, and we want to be right with our heart. We're going to talk about some of the personal issues in Bob's life and in his spiritual life, and we're going to continue our discussion on the next episode of the Influencers Podcast. I want you to join in with the discussion. We want, of course, the influence of your life to increase so you can influence your neighborhood and expand that influence to the nation's That's what we're about, changing the world as we become salt and light. Thanks for being a part of this episode of the Influencers Podcast. We'll be back with episode two next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.